0: All of our kids, age three to eleven, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed. God bless them. Let's give them a hand as they go. Amen. Now I have uh, an outline for you today that you should have received. It Look like this. Everybody have one, okay? Also, I did something for our uh, African family. We have—I know you speak Swahili, so some you don't understand of what I say. But I put this in Swahili. I hope it translated right. And I did give uh, Wayne, I gave Lisa the actual sermon I translated from Word document into Swahili so you can read what I'm saying. Hopefully that'll come through to where you can, you can follow through, and, and then we won't have to have, one uh, won't have to translate to you where I'm heading, you'll already see that, and you can go to your Bibles and also read that. Okay, we, we're thanking the Lord, God's bringing the nations to Phoenix. Amen. A uh, lot of people groups are here in the valley, and we're grateful for that. We want to welcome all of you. Those of you joining us online, thank you for being with us. And um, the main scripture we're going to be looking at today is Second Kings chapter six. But before we get there, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter two, as you can see in your outline. And I'm titling the message today: "See the Invisible." Everybody, say, "See the Invisible." Say it again. See the invisible. Church, it is time for us to get our eyes off the problems and start seeing the invisible. I talked to you last Sunday or last year about the kingdom of God, and it is an invisible kingdom that Jesus brought into the visible. He brought it for us to live in. He brought it for us to walk in. Can you say amen? Now, Seeing the invisible sounds like an oxymoron or a paradox. And maybe it is a paradox. Because we know that something invisible is something that you can't see. But the kingdom of God is just that. Right now, all around us, you can't see them, but they're there. They're God's angels. They're all around us. Right now, you can't see them, but there are stars up in that blue sky. They're invisible until the night comes, and they're there, but they're always there. So what I'm saying to you is that God has given us a few things in the natural to remind us there is an invisible that actually trumps the visible. You see, the invisible kingdom Jesus brought into this earth when he came here so we can see the invisible, and the key word is we. Everybody say we. How can we see the invisible? How can you see the invisible? Can you? Did you know that Christians are not like everyone else? As believers in Jesus Christ, we do not see things like everybody else. Because we are Christians, we are followers of Jesus, therefore, we look at things differently. Did you know that we don't march to the same drum that the world does? We don't hear the same things the world does. We don't walk and we don't talk the same as the world does. So with that being true, we cannot react the same way that the world does. Can you say amen? We don't live by the same rules. In fact, we're not bound by the laws of nature. He's going to hold on. Wait a minute, Pastor. We got to follow the rules. I'm not saying you don't have to follow the rules. I am saying the fact may be you're sick, the truth is you can be healed by His stripes. The fact is you may have brokenness going on in your life, but the truth is God can fix that. So we are not zombies of the flesh. We are not uh, Satan's playthings. We are spirits of fire. We live in a spirit world. Can you say amen? Christians look at this physical world in a different way because we are looking through spiritual eyes. For example, the world may come through the desert and see a granite rock, but the children of Israel go through that same desert and they see a water fountain overflowing with living water. Because God comes in and he changes it. The world may see just a little baby in a manger, but we see a king laying there with the government on his shoulders. We call him Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, and Lord of Lords. Can you say amen? The world may look and see a cross that means nothing to them, but you can see the power of the cross and that the preaching of the cross is the way of salvation to them that perish foolishness, but to those of us who believe and are saved, the power of God. Now, what I'm saying today is that the natural man, everybody say natural, cannot discern the things of the Spirit because they're Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, a natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. Have you ever talked to somebody about God and they think you're crazy? They're a natural They're in their natural mind. In fact, they're not seeing into the invisible. You are. It's foolishness to them. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I want to ask you, can you guys show me your spirit? Pull your spirit out and show me your spirit. Do you have one? You see, the Bible says that they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, here's the thing. Your spirit will affect your soul, which will affect your body. You see, you cannot just be saved and then not do anything about it. I want to tell you something. An unworshipping saved person is an oxymoron. You cannot be saved, know God, love God, and not praise Him and worship Him because that spirit, if you want to follow God, spirit responds to spirit. Deep calls to deep. God calls out to those deep things inside of us. Can you say amen? You see, let me give you an example. When Jesus fed the 5,000, He saw what the disciples didn't see. It all came down... To perspective. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said, Lord, all we have is five loaves of bread and two fish. What are we going to do with that little mount? You see, they were looking at the natural. And Jesus was like, no, you take it and you give them something to eat. And when Jesus said that, they're like, man, this guy, we really like him, but, man, he's weird sometimes. He's crazy. How many ever think God's crazy? How many of you ever think, now, Lord, why would you want me to do that? Case in point. This is not in the notes, so this is this is you won't you won't have that translation. But when God gave Gideon the command to overcome the enemy that was taking them over, what did he do? He had he had thirty two thousand men. And God said, Hey, wait, you got too many. And now Gideon's going, now, they got more than that. What, can you imagine? What, what do you mean we have too many? Uh, we, we should get more. And God's no what you have too many. Anybody that's afraid, send them home. And I mean 20-some thousand took off. They took off. And then he said, okay, now I want to find out how they drink. And if they drink a certain way, send them home and only keep the ones that drink the way I want them to drink. And guess what? 32,000 got whittled down to 300. Now, does that not sound crazy? But with the 300, God said, you're not even going to have to fight this. Take you some shofars. Take you some pitchers. Take you some fire sticks. Break the pitchers and cry out for the Lord and for Gideon. And the enemy killed themselves. The invisible realm. Now here, I want to take you now to 2 Kings. We've got to start seeing the invisible, church. Right now, we are in We are in trouble in the United States of America, families are in trouble, schools are in trouble, work is in trouble, people's jobs are in trouble, relationships are in trouble. We need to see the invisible because there's an answer, and it's not in any party of our political system. It is not in our government. It is in God and in God alone, and we've got to start seeing that invisible and walking in that invisible and bringing that into this world wherever we go. It, because, church, we cannot fall to what the world is doing. We cannot be like them. The God, Lord said, come out from their midst. Pardon me if I'm just a little bit excited. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, it says this. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, sounds a lot like what the devil's doing today, and he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. And then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Now here's what's happening. The king of Syria has plans, and God is telling Elisha, the prophet of God, what the enemy king is going to do. So he warns the king in Israel where not to go. And guess what? No one has told Elisha this except God. Can I announce to you today, number two, God's got a man. God's got a man. Elisha stood in the way. Of the Syrians defeating Israel. Now, follow with me on this. Wouldn't it be great if you could say, I stood in the way of the devil defeating someone? I believe God is raising up men and God is raising up women in these difficult days who are going to stand in the devil's way. The enemy may come against Paul, but standing against Paul, between the enemy and Paul, there's a Dan. And Dan, he's seeing the invisible and he's praying for Paul and he's saying, No, devil, you shall not pass this way. Listen, church, I'm telling you that God's people are not alone. We have each other, and that's a powerful resource because the Bible says if one can put a thousand to flight, call another one, and guess what? You're going to put two thousand to flight? You're going to put ten thousand to flight. If one can put a thousand to flight, Exponential explosion, you get two in a green prayer, and there's nothing going to be able to do anything with you. So, listen, the Bible says that if, if we will get into a green prayer, God will begin to move, God will send a revival. In our text today in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 11, we haven't looked at it yet, but the king is troubled. The enemy king, the king of Assyria, is so greatly troubled because God was telling his prophet Elisha all the plans of the enemy king. And Elisha is sharing them with the king of Israel to the point where the king of Syria thought someone in his own country, in his own army, was telling secrets to the other side. So he says, who's telling these secrets? Watch this. Therefore... The heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants, verse 12, says, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Hello? Hello? So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And that's where Elisha and his servant was. In church, Elisha, my point too, is God's got a man. Elisha was The man of God. He was God's mouthpiece. He was God's prophet. He saw the invisible. I'm going to prove it to you. And he accomplished the impossible. There was years and years ago, Oral Roberts wrote a book basically saying, if you can see the invisible, you can accomplish the impossible. If you can see the invisible, if you can see what no one else sees, people are going to think you're nuts. People are going to think, people who invented things, people thought they were crazy. Alexander Graham Bell, they thought, what? Talk to somebody through a wire? You're, you're crazy. A light bulb? You've got to be kidding me. Candles have worked for centuries, millennia. An automobile? Horses have worked just fine. For millennia. Now today, those of you driving around vehicles, you're afraid of a horse. Right? I like, I'm not going to ride that horse. But you know what? If you will look earlier on in chapter 6, you'll read where Elisha made a borrowed iron axe head float on water. You say, that's not possible. He saw it it became possible. Read back on in chapter 5, and you'll see where he heals a commander of the Syrian army named Naaman, who was leprous, and after dipping in the Jordan River seven times, is made whole again. Leprosy's gone. Read on back in chapter 4, and you'll see where he purifies a pot of stew that contained a poisonous gourd, and with a little bit of flour and a lot of faith, the people ate what was impossible to eat before. Read earlier in chapter 4, and he raises a Shunammite son from the dead. Read on, and you'll find a widow with nothing but a jar of oil and nothing to live on, and she's about to lose her two sons as slaves to the creditor who's coming for what was owed. And he saw the invisible and told her, go out and borrow many vessels. Pour in the oil you have into those vessels. And she does that. And as she pours it, it just keeps on coming. It's just a little It's just a little jar. It's just five loaves and two fish. If she just keeps pouring it in that big old jar. It just gets bigger and bigger. It keeps filling up. She goes to another. And she's just using the same little bitty jar. And she fills that up. And she's borrowed not just a couple. She's borrowed a lot. And she has filled up all these pots full of oil. And you know when it emptied? When the last pot was full. Then her little, her little jar was gone. How many of you know in the physical, all that was there was what was in the little jar? But in the invisible, it just kept going and kept going. and kept, What am I saying? His supply will never end until you don't need it anymore. Read on early and you'll see more miracles of Moab being defeated and bad water made drinkable all the way back when he was working the plow. When another man of God with another E name, Elijah, came and took his mantle and threw it over the shoulder of Elisha and said, come and follow me. Elisha, when he later picked up the fallen mantle of Elijah, when he was taken up to heaven, he picked up the mantle, and he said, now I'm God's man, I'm the prophet, I've got to go forward, where is the God of Elijah? And he slaps the Jordan, and it parts. First miracle. Today, God is calling you and me to become Elijah's and Elisha's. In this day and in this hour, listen, Elisha understood what he had to do. He was God's man. He was obeying God, and yet the armies of the enemy surrounded him. Listen to me, church. No matter who you are, those of you watching online, no matter what office you hold, no matter how long you've been in this thing, you have to pick up the mantle. You have to pick it up. Now back to 2 Kings 6. Are you still with me? Not everybody saw what Elisha saw. Not even the guy in ministry with him. Look at verses 15 through 18. And while you turn there, all he sees is the visible. All he sees is the enemy. Remember, Syrian king sent his army, and they surrounded the area. That's what he looks at. That's what he sees. He's focused on, everybody say it, the natural. And you know what he is? He's afraid. Everybody say afraid. Elisha, however, is looking at the invisible, and guess what? He's not afraid. Look at your neighbor and say, fear not. If you focus on the natural you are going to be afraid. In fact, fear will follow you. It'll be on your tail. Look at look at his response in verses 15 through 18. When the servant of the man of God arose early and he went out, there was an army Surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Notice his response is, What are we going to do? And you know what? Some people's response is like way today. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? do? Here's what Elisha said. Just what I asked you to tell one another do not fear. Why? Step into the invisible. Because those who are with us are more than those with them. Now, he's going, dude's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I love him and all, but I, I, I don't see what he sees. See, that's where the natural man gets tripped up. That's where the disciples got tripped up. They saw five loaves and two fish. Jesus, he just kept breaking them and giving them and breaking them and giving them and breaking them. And every time he broke it, there was more there again and more there again. It was almost like you pull the tail off, you pull the head off, you pull the body off, and it just came back you went back to pull that tail and the tail was there again and you just kept on pulling and the bread you just kept pulling and it just kept growing and kept growing and kept growing. You see, it seems today, I want everybody to listen to me like you got four ears on your head. It seems like the enemy has taken over our country. In the natural, it looks like we're surrounded with no way out. Let me just say it. Don't fear. Ask God to open your eyes and see what He sees. Would you do that? Did you all know that, oh, about eight hours... That bright sky is going to start dimming. The night's going to come. In fact, go ahead and just do that with us here with the lights. Just this is what's going to happen. Every one of us are going to experience it. Right? We can't shut these all off, but it's going to turn dark. Yeah, that's a good example right there. It's going to get dark to the point where you're going to need something to see with. Go ahead and just bring it back up. The point I want to make to you is this. Nighttime comes to everyone. Darkness hits everyone. Nighttime is inevitable. Day slip away. The birds that were once chirping on the limbs will be gone. The good of the day will seem to slip away, and the flowers will tuck their head, and the darkness will push its way in, and the light is pushed out of the way, and darkness will come to your house. Darkness is no respecter of persons, but when that darkness comes, don't forget to look up in the sky at the things that were invisible all day long when the light was shining. Those stars are shining. They're still there, they were always there. They were in the invisible realm until the darkness brought them into reality. And sometimes it takes the darkness to get our eyes off the invisible and into the, or off the, the visible and into the invisible. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Some of you know what it is like to have darkness come to your home I know what it is like to have a daughter give birth to a little baby and live 45 minutes I know the darkness of when you have a loved one and they're no longer there or you turn over in the bed or you, you walk into the room and they're gone because they've, they've died darkness has come into your home And darkness has come into our nation. We know what it is like to feel the good things. We know what it is like to sing the victory songs. We know what it is like to shout and to dance and to rejoice in triumph. But we also know darkness. You know what it's like to come home before you can ever get the door open and the devil slaps you in the face. We know what darkness is. Can you say amen? But we've got good news, church. This is not a message of knowing what darkness is. I didn't come to preach a message of doom and gloom. I didn't come to pout with you or for you to cry with me. I didn't come for us to pat each other on the back and see who can tell the worst story. But I came with a message of power and of great joy. I come to tell you today that God's not afraid of the dark. It was God who sent darkness running at creation when he said, Let there be light. It was God who lit up the lion's den when He sent an angel for Daniel. It was God who who pierced the darkness of Lazarus' tomb when He said, Lazarus, come forth. It was God who illuminated death's tunnel when Jesus rose up on the third day and He said, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Folks, our God is not afraid of the dark. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes with the morning. The world's getting darker by the day. What used to be a horror story has now become daily news. It's dark and it's getting darker. And when darkness comes and surrounds you, it's at that time that you see the invisible, but don't get stuck at the darkness. Look at this. Look at verse 17. And Elisha prayed. Everybody say, Elisha prayed. Do you see that's, that's what the men and women of God need to do today is you need to pray. And he said, Lord, I pray. Open his eyes so that he may see. The church, listen, he had the same set of eyes. same army was there. But something supernatural happened. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw what the man of God saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Now, see, Elisha had already seen chariots of fire already because it took Elijah up. He's familiar with chariots of fire. Now watch this. Verse 18. So when the Syrians came down, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Didn't kill them. Struck them with blindness. When darkness came, The man serving the man of God was still in the visible realm, still walking in the flesh, still walking in the natural, saying, what are we going to do? He saw the visible. He saw the armies of Syria. He only saw what was there until God got on the scene from a prayer from His superior. Isn't that what we do a lot of times? We see the visible. It doesn't take any faith, church, to see the visible. We know what it is to see an empty bank account. We know what it is to see and hear that report from the doctor that doesn't look good. We are masters of seeing the visible. But what God is saying to the church is look past the visible. There's something better to see when you come to Him and lay before Him and cry out to Him. Church, I am weary of hearing the gloomy reports of this world and seeing the statistics of a dying world and a crying church. What I want to do is look heavenward and see the invisible. God is calling us to get our eyes off of this visible and look through our spirit eyes and view the invisible because it's only then that we can do the impossible. Let me give you an example. I want you to consider for a moment the med student who sits today in a small college dormitory with holes in his blue jeans and a big hole in the heel of his sock. His books are spread out all over the place and he's sitting there eating a bowl of ramen noodles. Now does that sound like a picture of success to you? But that med student doesn't see himself sitting there in that small dormitory with holes in his pants and socks. He doesn't see himself in there drinking a Mountain Dew and eating ramen noodles and driving up in an old beat-up car sitting out there in the parking lot. Do you know what he sees? He sees something nobody else sees. He sees himself behind a desk. He sees himself with a stethoscope around his neck. He sees himself going on rounds. He sees himself driving a BMW making $150,000 a year and people calling him doctor. That's what he sees. That young married couple that gets married, and they're both working, but they're struggling to meet their bills. Now, their conversation at the dinner table could be, how are we going to get this car paid? How are we going to pay for that? How can we afford that? But they choose not to do that. They don't see themselves living in a one-bedroom apartment forever. They see themselves in a nice home sitting around a big oak table with all these children at Thanksgiving carving a turkey and giving thanks to God for all the great things he's done. Then there's that young preacher who's called to preach, but no one will listen to him because he's a little bit shy, and he's, he's a little slow of speech. And so he takes his Bible, and he goes out into the woods, and with the zeal of God in his heart, he begins to preach to the rocks and to the trees and to the limbs and to the leaves and to the creatures of the woods because they're the only ones that will listen to him. But he doesn't see himself as a failure. He sees himself as someone who's going to someday preach to the multitudes and he's going to carry the gospel to the far reaches of the world. Now, when I want to ask you, are you foolish dreamers? Are they foolish dreamers? Are they overzealous Christians? No, they're seeing the invisible. They have the faith that God has given them and they know it's going to be okay. Okay. Read Hebrews 11, and you'll find, by faith, Noah built an ark. You'll find, by faith, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. By faith, Daniel shut the mouths of lions. By faith, Elisha brought the dead back to life. In fact, Elisha had so much faith on him that when a dead man fell on his grave, that dead man came back to life. You say, where is that found? I'm so glad you asked. 2 Kings 13. Here it is, verse 20. Then Elisha died. Everybody say, he's gone. He's a dead man. Now watch. And they buried him. You can't be much gone than that. And the raiding bands from Moab, which is the enemy, invaded the land in the spring of the year. Now watch verse 21. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha, and when the man was let down and he touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Do you know how many miracles Elijah performed? Twelve. you know how many Elisha performed before he died? Twenty-three. He performed his last miracle when he was dead. Twenty-four. A double portion of Elijah was on him. You know, somebody could say, well, he died without the, the promise. He died without the double portion, really. I mean, you know, he was almost there, but he wasn't quite there. It's like, yeah, he's not over yet. Death, does that. that's no problem. God's over death. Remember, God's not afraid of the dark. Look at your neighbor and say, yep, he's not afraid. Pastor, what are you saying? What is God saying? What God is saying is this. Get your eye off the news. Get your eye off the divorce rate. Get your eye off of the wicked. Get your eye off of all that junk and get in the spirit and stand on the promises of God. Because you know what? They're still fresh. They're still true. God still has a marching army. God is called. I can't tell you how many times I've ran across this scripture, this, this name of God lately like never before. It's called the Lord of Armies. Did you know that was one of God's name, The Lord of Armies. Lord, who are your armies? the two-thirds of the angels that didn't fall with the devil. There are more with us than there are with them. Amen? You don't have to pout. You don't have room to sit down and cry. Excuse me, but I'm going to go forward, and we're going to be a victorious people. Can you say amen? Elisha's servant sees the armies of Syria, and he says, what are we going to do? And then, you know, verse 16 is so powerful to me, and I want you to just say this with me. There are more with us than there are with them it just can't get any more plainer than that folks if you don't know it yet that's an enemy there are more with us than against us if they're against you they're an enemy if they're not walking with you are you with me but there are more with you than there are with them Let me close. Elisha prays, that's his job. God makes him see, that's his job. I sow, someone else waters, God gives the increase. He's the harvester. It was in the midst of an army full around the mountain. Everything that Syria had, I want to just make this point, God had bigger and better. Everything the devil has, all the stuff you're seeing in America, God's got bigger and better than what the devil is throwing at us. And I am here to tell you that for every devil that comes against you, there is an angel ready to fight. Every devil that comes to you and tells you a lie, God has written a book and it tells you the truth. For every sickness that comes your way and every pain, there is a stripe on Jesus' back that says you're healed for every cross there is a crown because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. In church, we can sit here in the congregation today. Please walk with me on this and we can say yes, amen. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen, preacher. I agree with that. But then we can go home and difficulty hits. This comes at us and that attacks us. And sometimes we just need to step back and we, or sometimes we, we step back and we just go, I can't handle this. But listen, you have to hold the same conviction that you have on the mountaintop when you are in the valley, because it's in the valley that the world looks at you. Yeah, on the mountain, you're with God. It's you and Him. But in the valley, when you're walking, doing your stuff, it's the world that watches you. It's the world that sees you, and when you're going through some things, the world is looking at you, and they're saying, "This. Now show me what you're really made of. Show me what you really believe." And listen, church, you don't measure a tree until you cut it down. Anybody see anybody take a tape measure and measure their tree? No, you cut it down, then you can measure the tree. So you measure a man when he's down. And listen, church, prayer changed the perspective of that young man serving Elisha. Before prayer, he's afraid. After prayer, he is, or before prayer, he's outnumbered. So he's afraid, he's outnumbered, he's doubtful, he's confused. He says, what are we going to do? But after prayer, he sees everything different. He said, we're well able. We can do this. Do you know that always happens? Look at your name and say, it always happens. Prayer changes you. Prayer changes you. It changes your perspective. For those in this generation who are scared and negative and maybe pouting a little bit, man, you just need to go to the prayer closet and get a fresh revelation to God. You can change those pouting pants into some prayer pants. Can I sit here and Amen. You know, too often people, people are wanting a fresh revelation from God when that what they really need is a fresh revelation of God and who He really is. And do you know how you get that? You magnify Him. You glorify Him. You declare what He is, what He has done. You declare all that God is. It's just like when you say, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us praise His name and exalt His name together. Do you know you're not making God bigger? You can't do that. You cannot make God is already as big as God is ever going to get. But, man, I'm telling you what. I can, I can see something through the lenses of my glasses, but then I can grab me a magnifying glass. Woo, I can make that bee big. But you know what? The bee is still just as small on the paper as it's always been. It's just, to me, it's a big bee. It's a big one. I mean, it is, it is magnified. Well, see, that's the thing is, why is God... Bigger to Elisha than he was to his servant. He was magnifying him. He walked with him. He lived with him. He wasn't afraid. I mean, he's, he's, a good, he's, a good, uh, he's a good cook, you know. I mean, he can take a poisonous stew and make you have a great meal. How many of you ladies got that ability? With the power of God? Yeah, we do. I mean, you know, it's kind of like Jesus. Don't take him to a funeral. He messes them up. He, 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 he just brings everybody back from the dead. I mean, it's not a funeral anymore. It's a, it's a joyous celebration. Oh, I could keep going, but I know i got to let you go, and it's feeling like it's getting warmer in the house. So everybody stand to your feet. Do you know what faith is? I, wanna take you, I, wanna, I want you to take this away with you. Faith is the substance of the things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of the things not seen. In fact, James says, you say you have faith, but you don't have works. I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. So see, faith is not something that you necessarily can show, except in what you say and in what you do. And if we believe God, if we have faith in God, then we believe God can do the impossible. Do you believe that? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, help us see the invisible so we can accomplish the impossible. We know that without you, we are nothing. We know that without you, we are lost. Like a ship, On the sea without a rudder, without a sail. Our nation is much like that. And we need you, Lord, to get a hold of men and women of God that will rise up and pray and seek your face and see the invisible and begin doing the impossible. I pray right now, Lord, that the enemy and the hold he has on this nation will begin to crumble. I pray, Lord, in pockets all over this country, a pocket here, a pocket there, a pocket there, a pocket there, all over America, that you would have pockets of people that will begin to see the invisible. They will begin to pray for our nation. They will begin to pray for a fresh move of God. They are praying right now for revival. In fact, I believe they're already ha- it's already happening. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus that You would intensify it and increase it, that You would take us all up to the next level. And if we're not praying... I pray, Lord, you get us in a prayer closet. You draw us and draw, woo us. I pray, Lord, God, that our faith level would rise. I pray, Lord, Jesus, just like the water in Scripture, it said it was at my ankles, and then it was up to my knees, and then it was up to my thighs, and then it was up to my waist, and then all of a sudden I was, I was, I was swimming in it. Lord, let that faith rise. Let it rise. Let it rise in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, that you'd bring this nation back to its knees and back to the foundation in you that we began. I pray, Lord, that you would do this from every church house to every Christian's home. That, Lord, you'd start it in the church house and it would happen in our house. And I pray, Lord God, that it would just then go to every house in the nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Take us, Lord, now into the world and help us not hide our light. Help us shine it And help us speak the word of God that you've given us in boldness and in power with the anointing of God, we pray. And all the people of God said amen. Amen. I love you guys. I hope you got something out of that today. God is good, and he's going to see a breakthrough in, in, in and through each one of us. Amen. God bless you. Love you. Have a great week. Christ will hold me fast When the tempter